The vicious voices of the right are out in full force, and it's time for us to get up and organize against the heartless attacks on our civil rights. Start your morning diving into the headlines and issues that matter to our everyday lives, speaking with changemakers and hearing from you, our listeners. Hear your host, Zerlina Maxwell, break down the top news, push for solutions from officials who represent us, and call out the misinformation and hypocrisy that surrounds us, plus the engaging stories that keep you energized. Get your morning boost of politics, culture, and everything you need to start your day. It's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn is here. Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell. Joining us on the show today is former White House Communications Director for President Barack Obama, Dan Pfeiffer. He's also the co-host of Pod Save America and the author of the brand new book, Battling the Big Lie, How Fox, Facebook, and the MAGA Media Are Destroying America. Good morning, Dan. How are you? Good morning, Zelina. Thanks for having me. Of course. So we're talking about um, the 4th January 6th committee hearing, which is set to begin today, which is going to focus on the aspect of the big lie that is Georgia, the Georgia aspect of the big lie. Mm -hmm. But the big lie, I feel like in a lot of ways, the committee is laying out how Donald Trump uh, perpetuated the lie, knowing that it was a lie um, in a potentially illegal way. But I also think that the committee should, will, I don't know, um, lay out the Republican, the larger culpability of the Republican Party in going along with and perpetuating the big lie. So my first question actually is kind of like, what's the origin story of the big lie um, from your perspective? Because I feel like um, it's bigger, for lack of a better way to describe it, than just Donald Trump and his one election. That's exactly right. If if it had, if if there had never been Fox News or Breitbart or this decades long effort to build up a right wing media infrastructure that created essentially a hermetically sealed information bubble for many Republican voters in this country, it would just be Donald Trump sounding like a crazy person saying things that no one believed. But he was able to take an election that was close, but not any any significantly closer than his own election win in 2016 or George W. Bush's win in 2000 and convinced 70% of Republicans something that every single fact said was not true. And that does not happen right. if Roger Ailes and Steve Bay and Rupert Murdoch do not get together in the 80s to do Foxes. It doesn't happen if Facebook does not make changes to their algorithm that pumps these conspiracy theories into people's brains all across the world. And so it is the, January 6th is the end result as they write in the book of a decades-long effort to build up a right-wing disinformation and propaganda machine to hold on to political power in a country where they're rapidly becoming the minority. Do you feel like part of the effort, because I remember even when I was, you know, a baby political analyst learning sort of how to debate on Fox News, and one of the things that they, they taught us in the very beginning was that the premise of every segment on Fox News, no matter what the specific topic is, the premise is that Democrats are destroying America. <laughs> right. And so you have to understand that it, going in, that no matter what you're there to talk about, you have to sort of come defending the point that like Democrats are not some scary leftists trying to, you know, destroy America, that, you know, we support XYZ public policies to make people's lives better, whatever the like argument is. But you have to understand that where they're coming from in order to sort of 
be able to debate against um, that perspective. When you think about the way the right wing media has operated for the last, I mean, really since the 80s, because it, yep. you know, if you if you read Gabriel Sherman's book about Roger Ailes, his biography, he talks about the fact that Fox News from its inception um, was supposed to be like the per- prevention for another Watergate happening. And so you sort of see the effectiveness um, of that um, playing out in real time here. So what is it about the Fox News of the Fox Newses of the world, the Breitbart's of the world, the Newsmaxes, the, the sort of loop, that sort of conservative messaging loop um, that makes it so effective in perpetuating lies? Well, I think the first thing that the right began to do, even before uh Fox News, and this began with Barry Goldwater and then took off with Nixon, was to sow distrust in the mainstream traditional media among Republican voters. Say they cannot be trusted because of liberal bias. And that really came to a head when Nixon fell in Watergate, in large part because of reporting that was done by the Washington Post and mm-hmm. others. And so if the, the, there was a two-step process. Press, part one, convince people they cannot, convince Republican voters they cannot trust traditional sources of information. And then, Bill, once you've done that, you have to give them a place to go. So that's when you build up Fox News and then this sort of coterie of right-wing media You know, that began with talk radio and now includes a bunch of digital sites and Facebook stuff. And so they live in this hermetically sealed bubble where you have convinced them that the mere fact that someone outside of that bubble is saying something to be true is proof it is not true, right? If the New York Times, the people have been conditioned to believe the New York Times says that Donald Trump is guilty of a crime for X reason, that is actually, that is not proof of guilt, that is proof of innocence because they are bi- so biased. And that creates this, this feedback loop, as you say, where the, the pr- any effort by people not inside the you know, right-wing media family to prove that the election was, uh, you know, was conducted with integrity and Joe Biden's legitimate winner is proof that the election was not conducted with integrity. Joe Biden is not the legitimate winner. I mean, it's crazy how they sort of build this up over time, and then it you can see the sort of fruits of all of that effort, um, you know, unfolding now as we speak. But I'm also always questioning like why it works because. You know, we talked to Oliver Willis, who worked at Media Matters for the longest time, a lot on this show, and he explains a lot of this to us. And my brain usually breaks about halfway through this argument <laughs> because it only works when logic is applied. <laughs> right. Um, and so, like, you know, a, a fact dis- debunking your whole thing, you know, that oh no, that doesn't like, you know, make your your claim false. That just is more evidence that they're so so good at cons- you know conspiring that you know, this, this evidence is not real. It's, it's actually more proof that it's a bigger conspiracy than you ever thought. Like, I just can't, I can't, my brain can't do that. Why is it, do you think that it's so effective on the Fox News viewer though? Because well, I think that, it, you know, it's clear that it works on them in a way that doesn't work on me. Yeah. I think that there, that the predicate, you really, I think brought up the very important predicate when you talked about how every segment on Fox News is about how Democrats, and it defined very broadly, mm-hmm. right? Democrats in this in the Fox News mm-hmm. is everyone other than Republicans, right? Whether it is colleges, immigrants, um, Hollywood elites, ever that there are these forces out there destroying. Right? We've they've created this apocalyptic view about demographic and cultural change in this country. That the country is changing. 
these people are going to be in charge, not you, right? And that the, what it really boils down to this idea that for white Christian, primarily men who have had all the political power in this country for since its inception are going to, are not going to have that power in the very near future. That's embodied by the uh, first woman vice president, first, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton winning the nomination, Barack Obama being president. And it creates a sense that you can justify everything. It explains why evangelical leaders, right-wing conservative evangelical leaders back Donald Trump, someone who obviously lives none of his life by the sorts mm -hmm. of uh, morals and that they teach in their church, is that we will do what, because things are so dire, America, the, our America, the 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 culture that we care about and believe in is close to destruction that we can we can do and say anything. And it's what justifies January 6th. It's what justifies the people continuing to stand with Trump now. Even the, I mean, the, even the members of Congress whose lives were in danger, Republican members of Congress whose lives were in danger on January 6th, still sticking with Donald Trump because that is a risk worth taking to protect this thing, you know, to keep America as they see it from being destroyed. And that, that I think is the context for so much of what is, of why this right-wing disinformation works, because you want to believe it because you need a, you need a justification to do what you think you have to do. Mm. I mean, I really, I, in, in my book that I, I wrote before the insurrection, um, before the election too, um, the end of white politics, I sort of work from the premise that the demographic shifts um, you know, we're going to benefit Democrats in specific ways. And I think that the flip side of that, and, and part of why I wanted to write a book about Democrats is because I, I felt like the Republicans already fully understood this <laughs> and were, right. were behaving as if they understood um, where the demographics were shifting away from um, their kind of voter. And they don't have any, there's nothing stopping them from, I don't know, proposing policies that would attract voters of different backgrounds, but they've chosen this path um, right. instead. Um, in terms of where we're headed, I mean, I, I have sort of a two-prong question. Um, and, and the first is sort of the threat of the big lie to sort of the future, for the future of our democracy, election integrity, but also the role of the mainstream media. So like, I'm in that now, right? Like I worked on campaigns. I worked for Obama in 08 and Hillary in 16, but I'm on the media side now. And I feel like in this particular moment, the folks who are not the Fox Newses of the world, um, they also have a role in, in upholding democracy, full stop. Like not right. the partisan part, but just the full, the, the whole idea of it. <laughs> um, so the first part of the question is, what do, what do you see as the threat going forward? Because Donald Trump is sort of like muted. I mean, he did Newsmax this weekend and he went, went in front of a microphone a couple of times. But for the most part, like he's like out of sight and still, but he's not out of mind. So the future threat and the second piece is the media's role in, in addressing that threat. Sure. So the, I, the threat is very ongoing and very real. January 6th is the consequence uh, is that an end in and of itself? What happened January 6th is the consequence of a very broad criminal conspiracy to overturn the 2020 election. The violence only happened because that conspiracy failed for a whole host of reasons. Uh, it was not particularly well thought out. Mike Pence wasn't on board, but the, that, that was the manifestation of the anger that the conspiracy to overturn the election failed. As we head into 2024, that this time around, that conspiracy theory, that, that conspiracy to overturn the next election 
is happening at every level of the Republican Party. Everyone's on board. Much smarter people are thinking about it. They are running people in to, you know, to use Steve Bannon's term, to take over the election apparatus in states. Because what blocked it last time was either Democrats were, were in the governorship in some states, or there were Republicans who were like Brad Raffensperger in Georgia who were not on board with the big lie and therefore you know, essentially made it impossible for Trump to, to take over. But that is happening at the threat of, it is a very real threat that if Joe Biden or whoever a Democrat wins the popular vote in the Electoral College, that they may not become president in 2020. 2024, excuse me. Now for the mainstream media, and I write this in the book, and the book's largely about how the big lie happened and what Democrats and progressives could do to fight back against this right-wing machine. But I do have a chapter in there about the, about the mainstream media. And we have to acknowledge that the days in which the mainstream media, the Watergate days where, you know, everyone, they can be true, trusted arbiters, arbiters of truth by the right and the left and the center are gone and probably not coming back. But I think the the media could, to your point, take a more aggressive role and decide that one of the values they are going to push for is democracy. That And right now, that means that they might find themselves more aligned with Democrats and Republicans, but that's not necessarily always so. But your value, your value is you're going to fight for democracy because you, the mere existence of a free and fair press in this country depends on a thriving democracy. When countries fall into authoritarianism, the first place they go is to the TV station and the newspaper to take over those places. And so there is, it's very important in my mind that the press cover this from a position of advocacy for democracy, advocacy mm. for the constitution and not two different political strategies where Democrats run on minimum wage and uh, improving access to healthcare and Republicans take over uh, elections uh, in use insurrections. Like those aren't two sides of the same, of the same coin. <laughs> It's 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 so funny that we have to say that. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> what a time! Um, yeah. The other piece of this is the disinformation piece, and I talk about this a lot in the context of COVID nineteen because obviously the disinformation around COVID um, has sort of led us down this point path where. I don't know where we're headed, honestly. Like yeah. when I saw that Anthony Fauci got COVID, I was like, what is the hope for the rest of us? <laughs> Clearly, he's right. the one that knows how to not catch it. He's the one who wrote the directions. Right. Um, you know, that's how I interpreted it, of course, on yeah. the on the right and their media infrastructure. They were like, oh, see, this means the vaccines don't work. But um, I was like, if he if the guy who writes the directions on how not to catch COVID catches COVID, um, I feel like we should all stay in this in the house. Um, but the, the disinformation piece, obviously bigger than just COVID and the disinformation piece, it it feels like it started well before the election. Obviously, the committee is laying out a little bit of that part of the story, too. But I think there's so many different aspects to the disinformation Um like that not vacuum disinformation environment i don't know mm -hmm. what the word is but like the mess that um has all different sort of threads that really if unless you follow the characters this is one of the things i've learned from oliver willis unless you're following along with the narratives on fox news you have no idea what jim jordan is talking about like if he was in this committee and interrupting and like saying nonsense we'd all be watching like, what is he talking about? But the narrative threads, they make total sense on Fox News. And that is because of disinformation that predated um, anything Donald Trump was talking about. Can you talk a bit about how the disinformation works within this media space, whether it be on Facebook or 
these other platforms that conservatives like to sure, spend the, their time on? Yeah, sure. I mean, there, look, there has always been a strain in American life that is believed in conspiracy theories. The moon landing, conspiracy theories around the assassination of John F. Kennedy, all those things. What is different now is two things. We have social media and Facebook primarily, which is spreading that disinformation at hyperspeed, at scale, and to people who are not opting into it, right? They are just, they are seeing headlines, they're seeing clips out of context, the pandemic uh, video that spread everywhere from uh, during the during the pandemic, the early days of the pandemic to sow disinformation about where it came from. And then you have, secondly, a party play, you know, political operatives, a political operation that sees value in sowing distrust in American society, sowing distrust in vaccines, sowing distrust in the government, pushing, aggressively pushing that disinformation. And it be, you're right, it's absolutely where it began with the election, in part because Republicans, Donald Trump primarily, wanted to convince voters, primarily black and brown voters, that they could not trust the election apparatus, that if they voted by mail, it, their vote would not count. And that created the context for the big lie. So we have powerful people with, with megaphones pushing disinformation, and then you have Facebook spreading that disinformation at scale via an algorithm that actually promotes that sort of disinformation above good information more mm. often than not. I mean, I feel like it's it's almost like a monster that grew out of control and now we have to try to rein it in and we can't. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. So it is what are the consequences of, of us not being able to rein it in though? Potentially I mean the consequence the January 6th is the consequence. It is that we we you cannot you can democracy cannot function. A United States cannot solve difficult but tractable problems if we can if we are not operating within a shared reality. I mean the failure to deal with climate change is the textbook example of the power of disinformation pushed by and funded by interested parties, right? The fact, you know, when I started when I be, you know, sort of sort of doing a lot, you know, when I started in politics, there was a consensus among Democrats and Republicans that climate change was real. There were huge differences in what we should do about it and how and how big a, a challenge it was. But the, you know, the 2008 Republican nominee, John McCain, the the lead sponsor of the primary cap and trade bill in the Senate, well, Mitt Romney, 2012 Republican nominee. <laughs> supported believe climate change is real and talked about doing something about it when he was the governor of Massachusetts. Now you cannot believe climate change is real and be a member of the Republican Party. And that is because it has climate change disinformation was pushed and funded by fossil fuel companies who had an interest in maintaining the status quo and just profiting for as long as possible until the planet melted underneath their feet. And so that the consequence is we can't like there's a reason we're behind most of the developed world in preventing deaths from COVID because we have a huge disinformation problem here. There's a reason we are doing, we are not solving climate change as a problem is because we have a disinformation problem here. There's a reason that people storm the Capitol believing an easily disproven lie because we have a disinformation problem here. And if we don't solve that problem, and it's a problem that emanates and exists primarily but not exclusively on the right, then we are, we don't, our democracy sits on the precipice of something very dangerous. So can we fix it actually by November? Because one of the things that scares me a lot is whenever I listen to Malcolm Nance, who um, 
I'm gonna knock on wood and then send all my like healing, not healing, <laughs> protective um, prayers um, towards Ukraine. Um, mm -hmm. But one of the things he's said on the show before is that this is the last election potentially in 2022. Um, do you see it that way? I mean, because I think you know the metrics and all the conventional wisdom is like gerrymandering makes it so the Republicans are likely to take back one of the chambers of Congress. And, you know, that's not going to make the situation that we're currently living in any better when it comes to the big lie, given the amount of elected Republicans and the amount of Republicans running in the cycle that perpetuate and believe the big lie. Um, so do you see 2022 as sort of a make or break election for American democracy? It. I don't know. No, I don't believe this is the last election, but it is an absolutely essential one. Um, and like I get the polling is bad. The political environment is bad. History is not on our side. There isn't there is an upside here, which is in terms of at least keeping and expanding the Senate, winning the governorships and secretary of state races that you need to win to be able to protect against the next insurrection requires nothing more than just convincing people who voted for Joe Biden to vote in this election. You don't have to convince a single Trump voter. No one's going to take off a MAGA hat there. We don't have to go to any of those diners the New York Times loves to visit. We just have to get Joe Biden voters out. We just don't, the election is taking place in states that were blue in 2020. And so that, and we absolutely have to, if we, if we, the chances that the next president of the United States will ascend to office without having won the election go, go up dramatically if we lose the House lose the Senate and lose the governor's races in states like Michigan, Pennsylvania. I, I think that's so true. I mean, the other the other question I sort of have um, as we head into this election is, uh, you know, how many of these local elections where folks are electing people in secretaries of state positions or the governor of Pennsylvania who appoints the secretary of state, um, how many of those conspiracy theorists like big lie conspiracy theorists are going to like muck up what happens in the election because i i do think that the polling so far of the committee hearing shows that the american people are paying attention a lot more than we thought i mean 20 million people to watch one thing on thursday night is a lot of people if a tv show got 20 million viewers it would be the number one show um on tv on thursday night in prime time and um, especially with like, you know, the streaming environment being what it is, that's the significant portion mm -hmm. of the American public that is all tuned in and keyed in. But I, I'm worried that there's too many of those conspiracy theorists within the government that won't make the systems work correctly. That's right. They're running. Republicans are recruiting and running people to run for these seats for the express purpose of ensuring that they can control who becomes the next president. I mean, Doug Mastriano, who's the Republican nominee for governor, ran in the primary specifically promising to give Pennsylvania's electoral votes to Donald Trump, regardless of what the, the voters of Pennsylvania decided. Ryan Kelly, a gubernatorial candidate in Michigan, who is now leading in the polls. Mm -hmm. And why is he leading in the polls? Because he was just arrested in his house by the FBI for what he did on January 6th in the Capitol. And so this is a clear and present danger. It is Secretary of State's, it is county and local election officials. They are recruiting an army of poll workers to try to uh, make sure that people's votes don't count to bully election workers. This is, this is happening right before our eyes. And the only question is whether what Democrats and all of us are going to do to stop them. So what's the message? That's the last question in the last 
um, I think we have two more minutes. So maybe not enough time to go through all of the aspects of this. But that's yeah. always the question that's asked of Democrats. Like, what's your message? What's your one message? Like, there's only one. But um, what what is sort of the top line, though? My, my view is the top line of the message is that our democracy is at stake because we there is a radical right-wing extremist minority who will do anything, suppress the vote, overturn elections, resort to violence in order to put in place an extreme unpopular agenda like banning abortion, banning books, making sure that corporations pay zero dollars in taxes, attacking LGBTQ plus communities, is that, that what I think we have to do is we have to explain who the threat is, what they are going to do if they have power, and then how that affects your life, right? You want, you want to pay less for prescription drugs? Can't let this extreme minority in place. You want to ensure you don't want the government getting in the way of personal health care decisions or who you marry, what books you read, what's taught in your classroom. You want to have actual freedom. We have to defeat this extremist radical minority. I think we have, it's very clear we, that they, we point out that they are extreme, they are radical, and they are a minority because there is a pro-democracy, anti-MAGA, pro-science, pro-truth majority in this country, and it is growing. And we have the power to stop this minority, but we have to do it in this election. That is a good message. <laughs> That's a very, very convincing. I mean, here's the thing. It's like I want I, I mean, I always want to hear more from Democrats. That's part of it, too, is I don't see them enough. Um, even in yep. the, you know, the conservative media, you know, they get their people. They're on their air all day, every day. Um, and I think that, you know, Democrats should be on this show every single day, every day, every, on my show, on Mike's show, on Dean's show, on all of the um, mainstream and progressive media outlets so they, they can amplify the message that you just articulated, because I think that that's a very, very strong one. And I actually haven't seen a lot of Democrats articulated that strongly, maybe Eric mm. Swalwell. <laughs> but yeah. uh, other than that, um, I think that you, sort of putting it in that in those terms that make it very urgent, because that's what I think these committee hearings are, are working to do. And that's what I think the Democrats should be working towards is really making this an urgent um, an urgent thing for the American people in terms of protecting our democracy. Dan Pfeiffer, thank you so much for being here. It was a great conversation. Thanks, um, the thanks book, for having me. Thank you so much. The book is Battling the Big Lie, How Fox, Facebook, and the MAGA Media Are Destroying America. Again, Dan Pfeiffer, former comms for Barack Obama and uh, co-host of Pod Save America. Thank you so much again. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlinette Check-In for new episodes every weekday. 